0: What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the New York Sports Minute. It is Friday, March 17th. And listen, if you join this episode to hear me excited about March Madness, to hear me excited about it being 60 degrees in Central Park, you're going to have another thing coming to you. Um, This is going to be a sad, depressing episode because my favorite team, one of the most beloved teams in New York, the New York Mets. They were dealt devastating news on Thursday that our best player, our MVP Edwin Diaz has a torn knee. He is out for the entire 2023 MLB season and that is the storyline of today's episode and really the storyline of New York sports right now. And so we'll get into Diaz. I'll use this as a therapy session for myself. I'll cover what it's like to be a depressed New York Mets fan and a New York sports fan. We'll also get into the other news around New York City, which is the Aaron Rodgers saga and everything going on in the football world. And then we'll save the rest of the positive content uh, for next week's episode. So, with that, just hit the music. This is the New York Sports Minute with your host, Morgan Eck. Man, I was pumped for this week's episode. I originally was going to inject a ton of positivity going into the weekend. I had a friend interview with me on the Knicks and talk about why he's so excited to have the Knicks make their playoff run, even with Jalen Brunson Hurt right now. I was going to talk about the Rangers and how Patrick Kane is starting to figure it out, and he scored a couple goals lately. We could have talked about March Madness. I'm recording this Thursday night, and we could have talked about the Virginia upset to Furman, which was wild, even though a lot of people had that one there's a lot of exciting and fun things happening in the New York sports world right now. But when I started this podcast, speaking with friends and ultimately creating the charter for this podcast, I always said I would tell the real side of being a fan. I would tell the ups and how excited we are as fans. I'd also talk about the downs and what it means to be an obsessive fan and what happens when that team, you know, something goes wrong. And so I'd be remiss to not give you my full take on the Edwin Diaz situation and what is going on in the baseball world of New York. And so if you've been living under a rock over the past 48 hours, Edwin Diaz, the Mets number one pitcher, probably their best player, totally shredded his knee on Wednesday night and he was diagnosed with a torn patellar tendon and he is out for the entire 2023 MLB season it's just devastating. Like there's no way around this one. There's no silver lining. There's no plan B to this. This is probably the most devastating news the Mets could have gotten just two weeks heading into a season where they had World Series hopes. So let's talk about how we got here. Because a lot of people are asking me, well, why was Edwin Diaz even playing? Good question. So over the last couple weeks in the month of March, baseball is going has been playing something called the World Baseball Classic, which is their equivalent of the World Cup. A lot of fans, like Frank the Tank, who if you haven't listened, interviewed with me a couple weeks ago, were very livid at the idea of having the World Baseball Classic uh, just a couple weeks before the start of the MLB season. I have my thoughts on the World Baseball Classic, but in general, most players who are playing in it actually take it quite seriously. They see it as important as the World Cup in soccer, and a lot of guys, including some players on Team Puerto Rico and and the Dominican Republic, have said they would rather win the World Baseball Classic than the World Series. So while I think it's a bit silly, every player who's playing in it takes it very seriously, and of course, Edwin Diaz on Team Puerto Rico is taking it very seriously as well. So on Wednesday night, Puerto Rico was playing their beloved rival, the Dominican Republic, in an elimination game, and Edwin Diaz came on, With the trumpets blaring in the ninth inning, and Edwin Diaz struck out the side against the Dominican Republic. He didn't get hurt pitching in this game. He got hurt about ten seconds later when he was celebrating the win with his Puerto Rican brothers. They were all jumping up and down, and immediately Edwin Diaz fell to the ground, grabbing his right knee. Now I wasn't watching the game. I was watching some March Madness, but I saw on Twitter what happened, so I turned on to turned on the TV to the channel. And immediately I knew this guy's season was over from the moment I saw what was going on. And you always know like deep down if a player's actually hurt or not, not based on the player, but based on what his teammates are doing around him because they're actually the ones who can see what's going on. And I look and the entire Puerto Rican baseball team is on the field crying. Like Francisco Lindor is on his hands and knees praying to the gods at third base that Edwin Diaz is going to be okay. They had Edwin's brother, Alexis Diaz on the field crying as if, like, Edwin had just died on the field. Like, it was a horrific scene in Miami watching Edwin Diaz get hurt. And the guy couldn't even walk off on his own weight. They had to literally get him in a wheelchair and wheel him out of the stadium. Like, I've actually never seen this on a baseball field. And so right away, I knew that Edwin Diaz was going to be significantly hurt. I was hoping it wasn't something like an Achilles. Uh, You know, I'm, I'm happy that it wasn't, like, an arm injury, but... It came out Thursday that he does have a torn patellar injury. It's a generally, it's a year timeline. So he is going to be out for the entire 2023, you know, regular season or full season for the Mets. And it's just devastating. Like there's just no way around. It is the most devastating possible injury that the Mets could have. And first let's get into the world baseball classic because a lot of people have been arguing about this. It's not the World Baseball Classic's fault that Edwin Diaz ruptured his knee celebrating with his teammates. This could have happened in Port St. Lucie during spring training. It could have happened in April at City Field after a big win. It could have happened in the playoffs later this year. It could have happened at any moment. It was a freak injury. So I don't blame the WBC. I don't blame players like Edwin Diaz for getting hurt in the WBC. I just think to myself, like, this team is so goddamn cursed. Like every year, we have some injury, something that happens that just makes me think this team is never going to win a World Series. Like it makes me think, holy shit, this guy Frank was right. Like as negative as Frank the Tank was, as loud and obnoxious as he was, the dude was right. Like Matt Harvey was having a historic year back in 2013, I think it was, and had a blood clot in his shoulder and had to be shut down for the season. Just a few years ago, Getting ready for a big season, Yoan Cespedes, our best player, broke both of his ankles trying to wrangle a hog on his ranch. And this year, our best player, Edwin Diaz, ruptures his knee in celebrating a win against the Dominican Republic just two weeks before the start of the regular season. Like, you can't make it up. And a lot of people are saying to me, well, hey, it's just a pitcher. You can find another closer. You know, you can maybe make a trade or something and and try to find a guy who can come and become the Edwin Diaz. But frankly, you can't. In fact, I would actually argue that Edwin Diaz is the most irreplaceable guy on this team. And let's look at the guy's stats. Last year, he had probably the most historic season a closer has ever had. Edwin Diaz last year appeared 35 times in save situations in the eighth or ninth inning. He saved 32 of those. So he only had three blown saves, which led the league. He had a 1.3 ERA, and Edwin Diaz struck out over 50% of the batters he faced. Let me say that again. Half of the batters that Edwin Diaz faced last year did not make contact and struck out. That is beyond legendary numbers. That is borderline video game numbers for a closer in this modern age. And he made the All-Star Game. He was untouchable the entire season. The Mets, if they had a lead going to the ninth inning, they were going to win the game. They had the least amount of blown saves, least amount of losses in the ninth inning in the entire league. And as a result of it, the Mets paid Edwin Diaz a five-year, $100 million contract, which he extremely rightfully deserved. So that sort of player isn't replaceable. That sort of guy, that sort of lockdown persona isn't replaceable because guess what? There are like four good closers in the league. Like if you have a, a good elite closer and you're a pretty good team, you aren't even thinking of getting rid of him. Ask the Red Sox how their bullpen was last year. You ask a Red Sox fan what it was like watching the ninth inning, and they knew they were going to lose that game. Whether it was Matt Barnes or Hansel Robles, they knew that game wasn't ending well. And that's why he's so irreplaceable. Like, not only is his, are his stats amazing, but Edwin Diaz was probably one of two or three guys in the league who provide a security blanket that elite teams need in order to make a playoff run. And so that's why I'm so devastated. You know, obviously I'm very devastated for the player, but he is going to leave a hole on this team that is just truly irreplaceable. And so many Mets fans and fans alike have been asking me, does this mean the Mets season is over? Listen, I'm not going to get on the podcast on March 17th before we've thrown a baseball, before we recorded out, before we played a game this year saying the Mets season is over. Because it's not over. In 2012, Mariano Rivera, the best closer in baseball for the Yankees, tore his ACL in May and the Yankees went on to win 95 games that year. And oh, by the way, a guy named Rafael Soriano had a historic year saving the games for the Yankees. I think he had over 42 saves that year. So I'm not saying the season is over. There's plenty of opportunity and guys out there to step up and take Edwin Diaz's place, but it greatly impacts the projection of this team. I would say our expectations going into this year were World Series or bust. I would say the expectations were to win 100 games again. Now, without Diaz, you add maybe six or seven more blown saves than he would have given you. All of a sudden, we're talking about 92 wins, 93 wins. And we're talking about it would be great to make the NLCS. And so I'm not saying the season is over. I'm just saying that without an elite closer, the ceiling of this team is probably lower than it was this year. And that's just what really sucks because this team, while it's very good, it was going to be extremely reliant on their bullpen to, to close close games. And that's going to be a huge hindrance. But listen, the bullpen does have guys that can step up. We have David Robertson, who we signed from the Phillies, who is a closer for most of his career, and he'll probably step into that role. We have my guy, Adam Ottavino, who we brought back on a two-year deal, and he has a lot of experience closing and in big situations. Brooks Raley is a guy we got from Tampa who was going to be our seventh inning guy, but can probably plug into the eighth inning. And you can try to make a trade in the future. Like, listen, the guy that I'd want Steve Cohen to go out and get is Edwin Diaz's brother. Alexis Diaz is turning into an elite closer on the Cincinnati Reds, a Reds team that isn't going anywhere. And so I think it would be prophetic for them to go out and get Alexis and bring him on to do the work that his brother was asked to do this year. But overall, it just – I just don't get why we can't have nice things. Like, I don't get it. I've been saying all year that if this team avoided massive injuries to guys like Diaz and Verlander and, and Scherzer – We would win a hundred games again and we're getting destroyed before we even start the season. Like Edwin Diaz is hurt and out for the year. Jose Quintana, the Mets fourth pitcher was just diagnosed with lesions on his rib and is out to at least August. And he's probably out for the year. Like, you know, it's never good when a guy goes from he's day to day with a rib injury to, Oh, we found a benign tumor on his rib. Like, How does this stuff happen? And so Listen, I'm going to be pumped on opening day on March 31st. I'm going to be excited for this team, but it just sucks because I know deep down this team is cursed. I know that anyone who watches this team every single year knows that there's something about this team, something about our parents in 1986 must have sold their soul to the devil when the ball went under Buckner's legs and they won the World Series. And we are now all paying for that 40 years later. This sucks. I don't know what else to say this team took a massive hit. I feel terrible for Edwin Diaz. I don't blame the WBC at all. In fact, blame, I think the WBC is great for baseball. Like, guys, baseball's a dying sport. Like, look at the stats over the World Series ratings over the past couple of years. In, in 2022, for the Astros versus Phillies World Series, the average viewership per game was 12 million viewers. If you rewind back to 1986, the last time our Mets won the World Series the average viewers for that game was 55 million people. Like they're seeing five times as less people watch world series games than they did back in the eighties. And so don't give me the shit that the world baseball classic is ruining the game. And it's, it's getting all of our players hurt. Like baseball is doing everything it can to survive. They're adding a pitch clock to try to shorten games. They're putting guys on second base in extra innings to try to make it more exciting. They're doing everything they can to try to gain viewers and try to keep their sport alive. And the WBC is a huge part of that. Like, look at the ratings from last week when Japan played South Korea. It was the most watched baseball game in 50 years. It had 63 million people watch Japan and Shohei Itani play against South Korea. Like, every stadium for all these games has been sold out. For the Dominican Republic versus Puerto Rico game where Edwin got hurt, the average ticket price was over $700. So... I get people are frustrated, but don't blame the WBC. Like, miss me with that. Because we know that isn't the reason. We see players get injured all the time and freak injuries. Trevor Bauer, a few years ago, hurt himself on a drone. It happens. Diaz got hurt. It just sucks. It sucks because we knew the Mets were the deep-down team. They were the ones that were going to ultimately see an injury during this tournament. It wasn't going to be the Yankees or the Red Sox or the Astros. It was going to be the Mets. And if I'm Steve Cohen, knowing that there's a curse above my head, I'm pulling Pete Alonso, I'm pulling Jeff McNeil, I'm pulling Lindor out of this tournament and bubble wrapping them until the start of the season because that's the Mets curse. But I don't blame this WBC at all. In fact, I think it's great for the game. And it's been pretty fun to watch. And so it just sucks. I don't know what else to really say on the topic. I'm devastated. I'm bummed heading into opening day. So Let's take a quick break and let's change gears into what's going on in the football world here in the city. Hey, taxi. All right, I'm back. Let's transition from depressing baseball that hasn't started yet. And let's transition to the other sport that isn't being played right now, and that is the NFL. So obviously, it's been a very big week across the NFL and for the Jets and the Giants as NFL free agency has officially started and the offseason for the 2023 season has officially began. And it's been a great week for both the Jets and the Giants. Let's start with the Jets. You know, going into this week, they had a hope, and there was a rumor that the J- Aaron Rodgers would be the starting quarterback for the Jets this year if they can pull off a trade. If you want to get my full thoughts on the trade and my full thoughts on Rodgers going to the Jets, feel free to listen to last week's episode. But this week started off pretty cryptic for the Jets. On Monday and on Tuesday it was leaked that Aaron Rodgers had given the Jets a list of players that he would like for them to sign. Guys like Alan Lazard, who they supposedly did sign to a four-year contract. Guys like Randall Cobb, who's like a 38-year-old wide receiver who won with Aaron Rodgers way back when. Uh, an old tight end named Mercedes Lewis, who has zero productivity in the league anymore. It was sort of weird because the Jets started signing or trying to sign all these players around Rodgers to, looks like, recruit him more to join the Jets. And then on Wednesday... During the day, Aaron Rodgers went on Pat McAfee's radio show to say, basically, his intention is to play football this year, and his intention is to play for the New York Jets. He came out, and he mentioned why. He mentioned a couple things. He said during his ayahuasca retreat, he thought he was going to retire, but the idea of playing the Jets really spoke to him, and so that's why he wants to come to New York. He mentioned his most favorite coach of all time and someone who has really shaped his career is Nathaniel Hackett, who is now the offensive coordinator for the Jets, And just overall, he feels that the Jets give him a great chance to be a Super Bowl winner again for the second time. So that's great. Every Jets fan started partying. They started rejoicing. It was confirmation that all the rumors that we've been reporting on over the past couple days is finally true and that Aaron Rodgers is going to be the quarterback for the New York Jets this season. That being said, it hasn't happened yet. The trade hasn't officially gone through yet. Aaron Rodgers hasn't officially signed with the New York Jets. And if the season started today, Zach Wilson would still be the quarterback for the Jets. And there's a reason I opened with the Mets' turmoil, and now I'm talking about the Jets. It's because the Mets and the Jets have always been tied at the hip when we think about their fan bases. They're both sort of the second tier team in the city behind the Giants and the Yankees. They both are ravenous fan bases that have only tasted a championship once or twice. The Jets having one Super Bowl title and the Mets having two World Series. And overall, they've always been one or two players away from really leaving their mark on their respective leagues. But more importantly, both of these fan bases would tell you that these teams are cursed. Like for every Mets losing Carlos Correa because he has a busted ankle, there's a story about the Jets and their butt fumble you know, for every time we see an Edwin Diaz be out because he was doing something stupid, like celebrating a, a win, right? We have the Jets who seemingly didn't know how to tank in the 2020 season and lost out on Trevor Lawrence, who is now a Pro Bowl quarterback. So both of these teams are tied to the hip and both of these teams are cursed. And I'm shocked that Jets fans are celebrating the way they are acting like this thing's a done deal because reports came out today that it is anything but a done deal for Rodgers to go to the to the Jets and that there is still work to be done for him to go there. And so listen, Jets fans, you got to be excited. If he's your quarterback, he makes you a top three team in the AFC. He is the quarterback that finally brings you guys to relevancy and into that upper echelon of the NFL. And so I get it. As soon as he is traded inside of the Jets, you should be celebrating. You should be cocky. You should be rubbing it in everyone's faces because he is going to be that good for your team. But let's also remember who the Jets are. And let's remember who Woody Johnson is. And I'm recording this Thursday night, and as of now, he is not a Jet, and so I'd be very weary if I were a Jets fan. But we'll see. I do think it does happen, but I am just a little surprised that Jets fans are celebrating the way they are. But my other takeaway with the Jets is, can we talk about how annoying this process is? And listen, I think Rodgers is going to be a really good player for the Jets, but can we just talk about how big of a loser this guy is? Like He's such a loser. Like He's impossible to root for, and every time I watch him, I just get my skin crawls. He ends this season saying, oh, I don't know if I'm going to play again. I don't know if I like football. It's the third offseason in a row that he's done this, asking for media spotlight and attention. No other player does this. He then says he's going into an ayahuasca retreat. He's going to a retreat in darkness where he's going to be with his thoughts for a few days and ultimately decide what he wants to do as the world awaits on Aaron Rodgers' decision. He then comes out and says, I was 90% going to retire, but after that retreat, I'm now ready to play football again. And oh, by the way, Jets, if you guys want to trade for me, you need to sign all these players so I am more convinced to come with you. And I just hate when players do this. Like, I hate when players decide that they're not only the star player of a team, but they're also the GM. Like, you've seen it with guys across NFL and NBA. But what's really weird about Rodgers is it just shows who's actually following him. Like, When LeBron James decided he was going to be a GM in this league along with a star player, he recruited all-star caliber guys. Like when he signed with Miami with D-Wade, he also brought over legendary Hall of Famers like Chris Bosh and like Ray Allen. It just showed how good of a player LeBron was and how respected he was in NBA locker rooms that guys like Ray Allen wanted to finish their career with him. And by the way, guys like Chris Bosh also wanted to win a title with him. He then went over to Los Angeles to start a new team with the Lakers and look who he brought. He brought the best big man in the league, Anthony Davis, with him, and they won the bubble tournament, the bubble NBA finals in 2020. And so again, when guys do this, you look at the players who are following them and you see, wow, okay, he's very respected. People love him in the locker room and people want to play with him. We saw it with Tom Brady just two years ago when he joined the Bucks back in, what was it, 2021. He left the Patriots for the Bucs and immediately he brought a cast of characters with him. He got Rob Gronkowski to come out of retirement and join him for a Bucks Super Bowl run. He got Leonard Fournette to come over to the Bucks and be their starting running back. He got Antonio Brown to come over to the Bucs, who was a key part of their Super Bowl run before he totally fell off the deep end. And again, he was a GM, and it showed us that players around him really respect him and were willing to come out of retirement for him. Then you look at the Packers, and you look at Aaron Rodgers. Look who he's bringing. He's bringing over Randall Cobb, who's been totally irrelevant for years. He's bringing over Mercedes Lewis, who like hasn't caught a catch in like four years. He's bringing over Lazard, who's like pretty good, but not that big of a game changer. Like I don't see Devontae Adams saying, I'm not playing unless it's for the Jets and Aaron Rodgers. I don't see other star guys saying, hey, get me to the Jets. I want to play with Aaron. It just shows that he's a very unlikable guy and he's just frankly sort of a loser. And we're acting like the Packers were good last year. Like they weren't. Why would you let Rodgers, whose team didn't make the playoffs last year, be the GM of your new team, basically, by demanding players come over with him? Like, maybe trust Joe Douglas, who's built a foundation that's really, really good with guys like Brees Hall and Garrett Wilson. Like, maybe trust that GM to actually build a team around Aaron to make him better, as opposed to having Aaron recruit guys who, frankly, haven't done anything in years. I just don't get it. Like, as a Giants fan, I get it. Rodgers is an amazing talent. He's going to make the Jets a top three team in the AFC. He's going to make them a Super Bowl contender. He's going to totally elevate that team. But God, this guy is hateable. I just hate guys who say, like, oh, get me out of the media. I hate the media. I hate when people talk about me. Then, dude, don't go on a weekly radio show with Pat McAfee. Don't announce your retirement every single year, then come back to it. Like, it's just so annoying. But listen, whatever. I get it. He's a guy who's starving for attention. He's going to be good. Jets fans will rub it in all of our faces. So all the power to you guys, but he's just not a very likable guy, but it is what it is. If he wins a Super Bowl, no one really cares what he does. So that's what's going on in in Jets world. And then Giants world, we've sneakily had a great week. As a reminder, heading into this week, we had Daniel Jones was reassigned to his four-year contract last week. Joe Shane inked uh, Saquon Barkley to his franchise tag for the one-year deal. And he kept that foundation in place, which is one of the things he promised Giants fans was stability and keeping a core foundation, you know, moving into the future. But Joe Shane also made a big splash on Wednesday, trading for Darren Waller, one of the most elite tight ends in the league. And you ask Giants fans, what have we been missing over the past couple of years? You know, they'll say weapons, they'll say playmakers, they'll say, you know, certain guys like that. But the main thing is we've been missing that tight end. Like when I think about good Giants teams, I think about Jeremy Shockey having those big catches or obviously Mark Bavaro back in the early 90s. Like if you ask any old school Giants fan, they say, man, we need a tight end. We need a security blanket. We need a guy in the red zone who's a big body. And I was pumped when they got Darren Waller because Darren Waller is the exact player this team needs. He's an elite tight end. He's huge. He's 6'6, 250, and a big body guy that Daniel Jones is going to be targeting in the red zone and on third down, and is the guy that you can double cover and it doesn't matter. And he's just an elite tight end. Now, there are concerns. He has been injured the last two years and hasn't really played that much in the past couple seasons, but he's a great talent and he seems like a great guy. And if you look at his 2019 numbers, he had 1,200 yards on nine touchdowns, and he was a pro bowler and he's an all pro tight end. And yeah, I'll take those risks of you know his injury uh, injury history because we only gave up a third round pick. In fact, we only gave up the pick that we got for Kadarius Tony that we traded away a couple of months ago. And so, to me, it was a, a low risk, high reward situation. We get an elite tight end talent. We didn't give that much, give up that much, and his salary is only roughly ten million dollars a year. So yeah, I'm a little worried about his health, but listen, if, if this guy is the elite talent that I think he can be with Daniel Jones, that gives us a really good foundation with Jones, Saquon Barkley, and Darren Waller, and it allows us to continue to add players um, around them. And so that was exciting. The Giants also made some secondary moves. They added a true middle linebacker in Bobby Okuriki from the Colts. They also added Paris Campbell, who's going to be a nice third wide receiver from the Colts. He had 600 yards last year. And what I love that Joe Shane is doing right now is he's using free agency to sign the best player, or sorry, the biggest need for this team. They knew going into this offseason that they needed to keep Saquon and Daniel Jones. He did that. They went into this offseason knowing they needed an elite pass catcher, and he got that with Darren Waller. They went into this offseason knowing they needed a run stopper and a true middle linebacker, something we haven't had since Antonio Pierce, and they got that with Bobby from the Colts. And now what they've done is they've set their team up so that they can... Ultimately, take the best player available in the draft. They don't have to reach for a wide receiver. They don't have to reach for a linebacker. They can just play the board with whatever it is. And so, if a wide receiver drops, they can take him. But if not, they can take a cornerback or they can take an interior offensive lineman. So, I'm pumped. I'm really pumped with what the Giants have done over the past couple weeks in this offseason, maintaining their core. Jets fans should be very excited about Rodgers ideally coming over, but they should still be a little skeptical that that deal doesn't happen. And overall, football seems to be continuing to move in the right direction. And then finally, just to wrap up the episode, there there wasn't a whole lot of Knicks content this week. The Knicks only played once, and that was in Portland on Tuesday night. They won that game pretty easily. It was another game without Jalen Brunson, but they have a huge weekend coming up. They play against the Nuggets Saturday night, or sorry, Saturday during the game. Tickets for that game are like $500 to enter the arena. It's getting crazy. If you have season tickets, you're making a ton of money right now and with only 11 games left this Knicks team is in fifth place they are squarely in the playoff hunt and they're only two games behind Cleveland for that fourth place which we've talked about and so it's going to be a big next couple of weeks for the for the Knicks I think the season's over April 10th or something like that so we have about a month three weeks or so until their season is done and so next week I'll have my buddy on a fellow season ticket holder we actually met at the game this year and, and he's a really funny guy so we'll have him on to talk about the Knicks and Hopefully, it's a weekend where we see Jalen Brunson return. Um, He is, you know, this team is night and day different without Jalen Brunson playing, and we really need him to get healthy. So, hopefully, he returns Saturday against the Nuggets. But if not, I'm happy letting him rest. But overall, just a lot of stuff going on right now. Um, I'm still pretty depressed about Diaz. Football stuff is really exciting. We'll get into the Knicks and the Rangers next week. We'll probably have a little March Madness recap as well. But I'll end there this week. I hope everyone has a great weekend. Hope you enjoy the March Madness stuff. It's going to be one of my favorite weekends of the year having nonstop content. Huge game for the Knicks on Saturday and Mets fans, it'll be all right. This team is cursed. Don't blame the World Baseball Classic. Don't blame Edwin Diaz. Blame your parents for making you Mets fans. Blame the Wilpons for cursing us for decades and it's okay opening days in two weeks. And once we go on that first five game win streak, you'll forget about Edwin Diaz. So anyways, have a great day, everyone. Have a great weekend and we will talk to you next week.